Hey all you cool cats and kaijus, are you looking for the hottest beachfront karaoke club this side of the Pacific? Look no further than King Caesar's Kaiju Karaoke Joint. It's where all the hippest monsters go to boogie all night and the karaoke machine plays only one song. Come grab a drink and get down with the slickest beasts around at King Caesar's Kaiju Karaoke Joint. And for all you foxy mama gons out there, Wednesday nights are ladies nights, which means no cover charge for all you funky mothers and violante ladies out there. King Caesar's Kaiju Karaoke Joint, the hottest spot this side of the Pacific. everybody and welcome back to another episode of kaiju weekly the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies i am your host travis and with me as always is michael hey guys how are you all doing oh man we're tired (laughs) (laughs) yeah we were were just talking about we were just talking on the back channel here uh, a few seconds ago and I think both of us uh, got in a well-deserved nap, and hopefully, I didn't get sunburnt in the process. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you're going to be feeling that tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'll be feeling it tonight when I go to bed. Oh yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. Uh, well, we've got a pretty packed episode this week, so we're going to hop right into the news. Cue to beady beady. The first bit of news is a follow-up to last week's episode that me and Elijah did. Uh, the entire <laughs> the entire episode was about uh, the the books, the art book, and the children's book for Godzilla vs Kong getting mm-hmm. delayed. And does that mean that the movie is delayed? And what would it mean? for the fandom if the movie got delayed and within an hour after recording that episode the dates for the book releases got switched back to november right yeah i saw whenever i listened to y'all's conversation i thought to myself oh yeah they're gonna have we're gonna have to do a retraction on the next episode yeah, so uh, those two books have been moved back to November, the release dates for them. So here's my question. Did the internet <laughs> overreact? The internet always overreacts. <laughs> Correct answer. <laughs> uh, the, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. The internet will always, 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 always overreact even if it's the most minor thing about a book being pushed back yeah yeah now does this mean that the movie won't get delayed again not exactly because there's still a good chance that the the movie is going to get delayed again yeah i i think there is i I honestly think that the movie will be pushed back 
because November is just so jam-packed. I don't – and I forgive me, everyone out there who who's a little bit more optimistic than I am. Um, I just don't see how Godzilla versus Kong can make any money when it's stacked up against, like, I want to say, like, 15 other movies. Right. Yeah, because at the time that they moved it to November, there there wasn't anything. Now there's a lot of things getting moved to November because of the coronavirus. So it's right. like, you know, it, it is very possible that they move it uh, again. And it's very possible that they are going to move the release dates for these books and someone jumped the gun and did it before they were ready to announce (laughs) that they were moving it. Um, But still, I think, uh, I think even me and uh, Elijah were talking about how everyone needs to just keep a a level head and remember that this is a movie. And if the release date gets pushed back, yeah, we're going to, we're going to be, upset because man i you know i really want to see that movie too but remember it's just a movie (laughs) right i I think the going i think the going consensus now within the fandom is anyway that regardless of when they put it out um they're gonna get all of our monies anyway um so And I think you got you and uh, Elijah brought up a really good point. I, I just where they've not done a whole lot of marketing for this film, mm-hmm. it's actually kind of worked in their favor because now they don't have to issue this huge retraction of saying, "Oh, well, you know, it was set it was set for November, but we're going to push it up to we're going to push it to January or February." Um, right. I just don't think that I, I don't think. Okay, let me back up. I think because we live in this sort of kaiju. Godzilla Kong MonsterVerse bubble that we all know about the film coming, but I don't know if the normies do. So yeah. I just don't think that I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. They're going to, uh, and I'm sure that they've already, I'm sure they've already done the data analysis of, of, you know, when they feel like the most profitable month is going to be. And they're going to move it to whatever month they know they can at least make their money back. Um, now as for Elijah's, um, uh, theory that if, if Godzilla versus Kong does not do well, um, that's the end of the monster verse, at least in the West. I, I don't know about that. I, I honestly don't know because I've noticed that Toho is doing a lot of collaboration lately and they've, and they've, and they've really been a little bit more generous with their licenses than they have been in the past. So I can see a situation where, they possibly do a an ongoing collaboration with studios in the West, um, but that you know that still remains to be seen. Who knows? You know, if if Godzilla versus Kong is a is a huge uh, flop, uh, which I don't think it's going to be. Don't don't take me out of context. I do not think it's going to flop. It, I don't think it's, I really don't even think it's going to underperform. I think that it's going to perform fairly well. Um, because you've got the name recognition of Godzilla, you've got the popularity in the West from King Kong, and I just don't think that that movie is going to do as badly as I've heard people say. And I don't think that it's—I don't think that its success or failure is going to be the the death nail, so to speak, for the MonsterVerse as we know it. Yeah. Well, I and see, but I do think I think that it will be the death nail for the MonsterVerse legendary thing because i think if this thing underperforms legendary and uh legendary and wb 
are going to be like, okay, this is this is not profitable. We're just we're pulling the plug on it. Now, do I, I think that it's the end of Godzilla in the oh, West? Oh God, no. no, no. I mean, if if movies underperforming were the doom for Godzilla, we wouldn't still have Godzilla in America right now. Right. <laughs> like he still wouldn't right. be a recognizable character. Um, right. So, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's it's a one of those things of it's one of those things that we just have to wait and see. Right, and yeah, we're going to debate about it for the next several months anyway. Um, I'm yeah. on, I'll be honest with you. It's it's it makes for a really interesting conversation, but I'm kind of over it right now. Like I'm kind of yeah. over having the conversation, the same conversation over and over and over. Uh, let's just like you said, let's just wait and see because they're going to get my money regardless. They're going to get yours. I'm sure they're going to get thousands of other people's money as well. Um, so let's just wait and see. But of course, the internet has to freak out over the most minute thing. So yeah, yeah. that's where we're kind of at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and to be fair, like, you know, there's majority of the fans were just like disappointed like us right. We're you know, the yeah. idea of it moving, we're disappointed, but whatever, whatever they have to do, as long as we get to see the movie, eventually we're talking about the fans that the quote unquote fans that were like, well, if it's delayed again, I'm never going, I'm not going to support it or, you know, oh, sending death threats or things like right. that. Like the, you know, that kind of stuff. The, like you said, the internet always overreacts. Oh um, yeah. That's just the nature of the internet. I feel like the, I feel like the internet was created just for people to overreact about something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next bit of news. Uh, the full specs for the arrow camera set have been released. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, we have up to this point, we have had a lot of the features uh, shared with us online and we've seen it. Um, so we, we've known a lot about what's in the set, but the full specs have not been released up until now. Um, so looking at the full specs and the list of things, what are some of the things that have piqued your interest, uh, Michael? 4K resolution, uh, 4K transfers of the Heisei series is a huge, huge sale. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, also comment, I mean, there's, oh man, there's just going to be so much because I think we're getting what the Japanese and the English dub of all the Showa era films and the Heisei films as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I don't know about, uh, English dubs for the Heisei, but I, but I do know for the Showa, yeah. Right. Yeah, um, so it's, it's great. Yeah, we haven't seen, I don't believe we've seen, I don't believe we've seen that since even Mill Creek put out their set, I think it was like 2014, 20, 2013, 2014, something like that. It's the one that goes on, it's the one online that goes for stupid money now. It's like, oh, it's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited for the 4K uh, transfers of the Heisei trilogy. I don't think they're going to do 4K or they're going to be able to do 4K for the Heisei series, or I'm sorry, for the Showa series. Um, but we are, I anticipate us getting at least some really nice transfers on the Showa films. Uh, if, if, because the Mill Creek releases, uh, for example, when we did Kaiju Quarantine a uh, couple weeks ago, or last week, last weekend, uh, I believe Rob even confirmed that was the Mill Creek transfer of uh, Gamera versus Giron, and it mm -hmm. looked really good. That is that mm -hmm. is that is really good quality. So if if Arrow is able to do even slightly better than that, it's gonna be fa it's 
even the show of films are going to look fantastic. A um, couple of things that I'm looking forward to are some co- are the commentary by Matt Frank and uh, uh, the uh, godfather, I would say, of uh, Kaiju podcasting, Kyle Yount. Uh, he's also going to be doing some uh, commentary for the Gamera set. Uh, I think the the new comic by that's drawn by Matt Frank is going to be included, and a um, an illustrated book or a photo book uh, that goes through the history of Gamera and the making of Gamera. Some behind I love behind the scenes photos. Like mm-hmm. I love those. Um, I have a few of those Toho special effects books where they kind of they highlight a different kaiju and they show you the effects, the suits, all the stuff that went into creating that specific kaiju in that film. And I love stuff like that. And so I'm super excited to have something like that in my collection. Um, I've already placed my pre-order. I placed my pre-order months ago at this point. I think it was in like it was within a week or so it was announced. I went ahead and placed my pre-order and I am super, super excited. Yeah, um, as far as uh, the Showa films, mm-hmm. they are not in 4K, you're right. right. Um, it is just high definition, sure. 10, 1080p uh, transfers. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, we saw uh, one of the, just recently, one of the uh, Mill Creek uh, high definition transfers of Gamma versus Guiron. And my mm-hmm. goodness, that was the crispest I've ever seen that movie look. I have never oh, it, seen that it, movie look so crisp. Oh, me either. Like you can find, like every now and then, you can find a really, really nice transfer of an older film on archive.org. Like to, uh, the film mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about today, I found a really nice transfer of it on archive. But it, they're few and far between. Like you have to have the physical disc or something to watch such a good quality. But I was impressed by what we got to see last weekend with Kaiju Quarantine in that film. And I it makes me. And actually, while we were doing the commentary, or I can't even remember who was on there with me. But while, well, I think Chris and and Matt from uh, Giant Monster BS. Uh, while mm-hmm. we were doing the commentary, I was sitting there thinking, man, if this looks, if this looks even, if this looks good now, I cannot wait for what arrow is going to be able to give us in July. Right. Yeah. Um, and the Heisei movies will have the English dub. Okay. I didn't know if okay. they would have English. Dub. I knew all the Showa ones would have the English dub. I didn't know if the Heisei ones did. I'm looking at the specs now, which um, is great. I have the, um, I have the Blu-rays for, for the Heisei trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently the ones I got uh, pro- are, I think they're bootlegs. Uh, they they didn't say bootleg in the description because mm-hmm. they're supposed to have the English dub on the right. disc, but they do not. Uh, um, so I was forced to watch the subtitles, which that was back when I said I got that set. I got those D, uh, those Blu-rays rather uh, when I first started getting into subs. So it was just sort of annoying, but uh, I got used to it over time. And actually, now I prefer subs. Um, for most films, I prefer subs, but not. Not all films. Some fi- some films are actually better with the dub version. Please don't shoot me. <laughs> um, one th- a couple of the things that I found interesting about this. So you've got for a few of the movies, you've got the uh, the original Japanese movie mm-hmm. uh, with, like we said, with the English dubs. But then you also have the American edit of the movie mm-hmm. included oh. on there. So like with um, Gamma versus Gauss, uh, you have the, 
high definition transfer of Gamera versus Barugan and Gamera versus Gauss with lossless original Japanese and dubbed in English uh, and optional English subtitles. Uh, right. But you also have a high-definition transfer of War of the Monsters, which is mm. the shorter American edit of Gamera vs. Uh, Barugan with mm. lossless English audio. Okay. So right. uh, that's interesting. So so we're, you get, you're getting all of the Gamera films plus some extra films. Well, let me ask you this. That all sounds fantastic, but... Does it say anything about us getting the MST3K versions? No, we uh, are not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, daggone it. Yeah. Um, actually, Elijah himself on, on Twitter reached out to the project manager. Um, uh, his last name is Flowers. I forget his first name. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, over there at Arrow. Mm-hmm. And the project manager answered him and oh, okay. elijah asked you know would you ever consider or ha- was it even in the consideration of adding the mystery science theater 3000 episodes where they reviewed the gamma movies onto mm. this disc onto nice. these discs okay. and the project manager said that uh no they always intended the collection to be eight discs they would have had to increase it if they added more you know even more movies to it, those um, ones. Uh, And since Shout Factory has the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes, they decided to focus mainly on the films themselves, Uh, the actual films. So that's what they, uh, that was his response. So that was, uh, it was nice of him to actually respond to Elijah's question uh, and answer it. That was super interesting. You know, it doesn't bug me. I just kind of, I even, I just kind of mentioned it as a, more or less as a joke. I didn't expect Arrow to include the MST3K versions. But but I will say, if you look at the, uh, the, um, the specs, there is for certain films, not for all of them, but for certain films, there's actually a, um, comedic what's listed as a comedic dub track or hmm. a comedic uh commentary or spoof commentary so huh. there will be uh a and a mystery science theater 3000 style thing on there but it's not from mystery science theater 3000 it's something that arrow put together specifically for these uh, films and it's going to be an option that you can actually uh, pull up. Yes, yeah, spoof commentary by Gamera and Soldier Number Nine uh, for which one was for this one? Uh, Revenge of Iris, and uh, then uh, you have for I'm trying to see for Attack of Legion. You had. No, there wasn't ones for Attack of Legion. Uh, there was... I know I saw another one that had it. But anyway, yeah, so there's a few uh, a few ones that had uh, spoof commentary. Okay. I'm wondering now, I'm wondering though, because I'm just being speculative at this point, because I remember, I remember Kyle Yount mentioning something about doing some kind of... Uh, characterized commentary for the Gamera set. And I'm wondering if he might be participating in this spoof commentary or, or something of that effect. Mm, not really sure. Uh, I know he's providing commentary 
for uh, Legion, okay. but it doesn't have him listed as part of the spoof commentary. But uh, yeah, we, okay. yeah, we uh, don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, the comedic dub track for for um, it still doesn't say that Kyle Yount is part of it, but but there is a comedic one for Attack of Legion. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's. It, that's interesting to me that that stuck out to me when i was looking at it mm-hmm. um the the of course the art all of the artwork in it and all of the books the map the we didn't even talk about there's a map mm-hmm. that comes with it that's going to have all uh it's all over japan and all of the significant locations and it's just it's done in japanese or in english it's because it's reversible right. and uh just oh man it looks so good all of this stuff all of the artwork in it is so good it is the 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 bottom line of this i think is this set is worth the money that they that you pay for in fact the i think as of as of this recording it's it is going for I believe around a hundred and twenty nine dollars and some cent like basically one hundred and thirty dollars on Amazon, mm-hmm. um, and my God I like for for all the stuff that they're giving us even if they just included like the the retrospective book and the Matt for and the Matt Frank comic that's two that's a two hundred dollar value and all the films of course that's a two hundred dollar value easy but they're gonna give us. Uh, the comic, the the book, the map, uh, the discs, of course, and the various versions of each film. My God, I mean, mm-hmm. this this set, I will say, is for the fans. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm not going to sit here and hate on the Criterion Collection. All and I, because I love the Criterion Collection. Yeah, but Toho, I know you listen to this podcast. Of course, what? Of course, what the heck were you thinking? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and if anybody wants to hear uh, people rant about the Toho uh, set, they should tune into Kaiju Quarantine the next time we do because uh, it always comes up. And Elijah is one of the probably the loudest um, opinions mm. that we have about it, and and for good reason. Uh, I think I think the bottom line on on that is that Toho. Uh, Toho was the way we can't really blame Criterion because Criterion's uh, hands were kind of uh, mm. tied by what Toho provided for them. So, you know, the, right. the movies, the transfers, the the ones, the dubs, all of that kind of stuff, that's all on Toho, not mm. on Criterion. Um, but I also think that the fact that Criterion is not necessarily meant for fans of Godzilla, it was more meant for film fans. Of Criterion. Play, yeah, our fans of Criterion play uh, play into it too. Whereas, right. like you said, this is specifically for fans. Um, we mentioned the comic book by Matt Frank, but they also um, they also have the uh, uh, Dark Horse comic book. Really? So the yeah, the Gamera comic book, the the actual because because huh. uh, Matt Frank's is like a fan comic that he wrote and uh, or he um 
he drew and everything and was released in Japan. So it's never been released in America mm-hmm. in English. Um, it's finally, you know, in, with the set, it is getting really released, right. but the, in the nineties, they did have a Gamera comic book series. Uh, it was a mini series from dark horse and that is getting released with the really? set as well. Yeah. So you're getting two different comic books along with everything else. Okay. See, now, I'll be honest with you. I have not gone through and seen the whole list of specs. Now, I know sort of the tentpole specs, like the 4K, the the English and Japanese audio for all the films, all you know, the main stuff that we knew already. Now, mm-hmm. I've not gone through and looked at the entire spec sheet, mainly because when I open this set, I want to be surprised what's in there. I yeah. want to have I want to have that awe mo- I want to have that awe moment when yeah. I see all of this stuff laid out in front of me is why I haven't looked at the entire spec sheet. And so you told me that there's a fan comic by Matt Frank and the actual Dark Horse comic by Matt Frank included. And no, that Matt sound- Frank didn't do that one. Oh, I'm but- sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, that's that sounds fantastic. That does. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and like I said, the map that the thing that's drawing me the most is the artwork that's mm-hmm. in the the book, the right. the comic books, the the all of the uh, artwork for each of the discs, um, the the poster, right. uh, the map thing that we talked about. All of that is drawing me to it because it's like it looks so much better to me than the Criterion artwork that they used for. And I, I didn't hate the artwork they used for Criterion, but it's still just to me, I like this artwork better. Well, the thing about the uh, Criterion artwork was they contracted what six or six, they contract each. I think each movie was done by a different artist. I don't mm-hmm. I, I want to say that no artist did more than one film. Um, so you had uh, 15 different artists doing a poster, their interpretation of the, of the film through their artwork. And that's why it was sort of this mishmash of, of different art styles. Uh, like right. the, one that's, the one that stands out to me the most is the, um, I think the monster zero artwork where they're, um, where it just looks so stylized and oh, yeah. Yeah. it's my, it's probably my least favorite of the the set now i'm not gonna i'm i i appreciate good art for what it is and i think for the most part all of those pieces are really really beautifully done especially mm-hmm. the one for i think it was the film we're going to talk about today and um the destroy all monsters artwork was i really really like those mm-hmm. um but i think what we've you know we what we've all talked about before and um the set, the the Criterion Collection was not necessarily for Godzilla fans. It was for Criterion fans, and really, I hate to I hate to be the one to admit it because I was so high on the Criterion Collection for so long. Really, if you're if you were a Criterion fan, you kind of got screwed too because you really didn't get Criterion quality on a lot of those films. Right, and you know, I know a lot of us in in this little circle that we. Uh, get to hang out with we all have a, we well most of us have a copy of the criterion collection mm-hmm. on, in our in our on our shelves uh and i know we all appreciate what what they tried to do we just feel like we just i know we feel a little bit slighted though with this new gamma set coming because we're like well okay you know basically 
Toho gave everybody the shaft on this one, but Daye and and all those and and those people are gonna are gonna give the fans really what they want, and that's really what it boils down to. This Gamera set is for the fans of mm-hmm. the Gamera. These this is this set has been a long time coming. I think if you're a kaiju fan and you do not sleep on this set, if you can afford this set, go for it because mm-hmm. I think you're gonna really love what's in the box. Uh, from what I've seen, now I've not seen, like I said, I've not seen everything. I don't want to see everything because I want to be surprised. I want to have that awe moment when I open the box and find out everything that's in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this is absolutely for the fans, and and it's just really really good to see uh, Gamera getting getting what I feel like that series deserves. Yeah, yeah, especially since you know for the longest time. Gamera was just one of those ones that you had a very hard time finding anything right. for, um, especially collections. You know, like we did when Mill Creek put out the collection. You know, it, it was it was unique because it was very hard to find collections of Gamera films. Um, but yeah, that's it. So it's exciting. It's exciting that we're getting this. Uh, and so fans, like you said, don't sleep on it. Don't yeah. sleep on it because it's definitely worth. It it looks like it's worth the money. Yeah, I'm but, not gonna say that it's gonna sell out quickly. Uh, it may. It does have high sellout. It does have a very high mm-hmm. um, sellout potential because it is so fantastic. And I know that you know people. You know this set's gonna go. This set's gonna appeal to a lot of people. And I, I feel I don't want to dwell too much longer on it because I feel like at this point we're just doing a big infomercial for Arrow and the camera set. But uh, right, yeah. Um, this set appeals to, to kaiju fans, science fiction fans, Gamera fans specifically, and even Matt Frank and comic book fans. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's definitely just uh, – it's so good. It's so good. So I hope, anyway. they have, I hope they have plenty of copies printed is all I got to say. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on to the next bit of news, it's going to be a real quick one. Uh, the sure. upcoming – Kaiju comedy film Three Great Monsters Gourmet has had its premiere slightly delayed. So the film that was originally slated to come out um, last week is actually uh, now moved the premiere in Japan to June 6th, 2020. Um, We had talked about this film briefly because a trailer came out for it not too long ago. And so we did briefly talk about this. This is one, the one that has kind of like giant squid looking kaiju. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, it's uh, it looks funny. It looks fun. It's it, I know at the time I talked about, I like how in Japan kaiju is a genre that they can play around with and do different things mm-hmm. with. Whereas giant monster movies tend to all be the same, either horror or action movies in America. Right. They have more freedom in Japan to do different things and try different things. Um, so yeah. I like when they do comedy films. I like when they do the weird and bizarre films. Uh, and this is one of those ones. So I hope it gets an American release or at mm-hmm. least released in a way that we can watch it. But as of right now, the only thing we know is the Japanese release date, which has been okay. moved to June 6th. Um, I'm sure that, see, it, I think it's been a while since you and I talked about it. It's been mm-hmm. maybe a few, it's been several episodes back, I believe, since you even brought it up in the notes. And um, 
I'm sure that we'll be able to find it somewhere because the nature of the internet and nothing, um, it, it seems like you can find just about anything you want on the internet, good or bad. Um, so I, I have a feeling that we're going to be able, <laughs> excuse, we're going to be able to um, find this somewhere uh, yeah. so we can watch it. But if we get an official uh, Western release, then that's just even better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we got we at least got I think Blu-ray releases for uh, Death Kappa and a few other uh, of those mm-hmm. weird kind of uh, left of what I would call left of center uh, kaiju films. So yeah. yeah, so it you know we we probably could get this one over here. Um, it's just a matter of uh, when because it's just now premiering in in uh, Japan in film or in the theaters. Yeah. So it's probably going to be a while before we get it here in the States. Yeah. I don't see why not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, so that's it for my bit of news. Do you want to sure. quickly go through the uh, news on the side of collectors? Because sure. this is more your domain. It is. Uh, and I had a whole, I had a big long list of things that I was going to talk about here, but I'm going to try to keep it as simple and as quick as I possibly can. Uh, because I'm really looking forward to getting into the main topic today. I know you and I both have a lot to share there. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I think it was not. Uh, it was last week, uh, I believe. I want to say because I didn't put I I didn't put any time I didn't put any dates on this. So sorry. Uh, X Plus, uh, which is the which is their which is the high end figure uh, designer line. X Plus. If anyone's in the collector community, you know what X Plus is anyway. So I don't have to go into detail there. Uh, X Plus revealed its new Godzilla 2019 figure. Uh, the model is based off of Godzilla's appearance in 2019 uh, in the 2019 film Godzilla King of the Monsters, and is part of their Daikaiju uh, mon- series line of figures. The Daikaiju meaning large monster. Um, the figure will stand approximately 27 centimeters tall, 48 centimeters long, and 18 centimeters wide, which is going to be a chunky boy. Um, uh, the figure comes in two flavors, a standard version sporting a more of a gray, brown, red color scheme emulating how Godzilla looked. At the end of the film, after defeating King Ghidorah and the Rick, which stands for Rare, Interesting, and Collectible, uh, that version sports a darker gray-blue uh, paint application and will feature light-up dorsal plates. Uh, the standard retails for around $153 USD, uh, while the Rick will sit around $110 USD, depending on where you're able to find him. $210, um, right? Yeah, $210. I'm sorry, $210. Yeah, because the Rick would not be less than the standard. Yeah, what I say, 100. What I say, 110. Yeah, you said 110. <laughs> My bad. I'm sorry, folks. But yeah, $210 USD for the Rick version. Uh, and it's going to be available. On, it's already available now for pre-order. I've already got my pre-order in for the standard version. Uh, I just love that really brown, uh, brownish red paint application that he looks. A lot of folks online are calling that the aftermath version, sort mm. of like how he looked after he ate King Ghidorah's head. Um, so yeah, it's really really cool. Uh, he's going to be available from online retailers like Awesome Collector, Hobby Search. And direct from the Shonen Rick website. Looks like the um, release date on that figure is going to be August of 2020. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it looks like he looks like a fantastic figure. Uh, like I said, he's going to be for 27 tw- for 27 centimeters tall and 18 inches wide, 18 centimeters wide. He's going to be a chunky boy, a really chunky boy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
where because the the Daikaiju series is on average anywhere between 23 centimeters and 25 centimeters tall. Uh, so he's going to take up a lot of shelf space. And also, it uh, looks like X Plus will be re will be coordinating rather with uh, Premium Bandai and reissuing their 30 centimeter Godzilla 1975. Um, nudge, nudge, wink, wink to what we're going to be talking about today. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that, that figure will feature, will be, will stand about 30 centimeters tall and will feature a light up gimmick, uh, with light up dorsal plates. Uh, the release date for that one is set for August, uh, I'm sorry, August or not, not August, October, excuse me. Um, October and is October, not August and is also <laughs> available on online retailers like uh, the Rick site, uh, the Japanese Rick site, and rather not the American Rick site, and uh, online retailers like Awesome Collector. Now, originally, this release was intended for Japanese only, but if you know somebody who knows somebody who can get you one, you can, they, you can get them. Uh, I got mine already through Awesome Collector, Jason Welling, who's a really good friend of the community. And so, yeah, I'm pretty excited for that guy. Um, also, just really quickly, uh, some other notable June releases from X Plus and other companies are going to be the Defo Real Space Godzilla. And if you're not familiar, familiar with the Defo Real line, Travis, it's those little short kind of chibi figures with the big heads and the small bodies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those look uh, really awesome. They do look really awesome. for the And for the price point they are, they're not a bad deal. Typically, for a defo reel, you're going to pay anywhere between $60 to $100. And for a figure that stands about six inches tall and is highly detailed like that, and some of them come with really great effects, not too terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, let's see, for June, looks like they're going to be doing a, a, re- a release for their Daikaiju series, which is the 25-centimeter line of Red Killer from, from Return of Ultraman. Uh, looks like uh, Defo Reel Burning Godzilla 2019, uh, and also a 25-centimeter Daikaiju uh, Ultraman Leo. So if you're interested in all that stuff that we just talked about, you can find all the detailed information on sites like sci-fi-japan.com and kaijubattle.com. And we will make sure to put links to all of that stuff in the description. And uh, uh, when we, once we upload it to YouTube, I'll make sure to post uh, links in the description of that video as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, everything's uh, for the it seems like for the collectors out there we're still it's still going like everything else might have been put on hold during the coronavirus but they're still churning out things uh, it's it's really funny travis because for the stuff like this the united states is really not even the biggest market where and it's weird to say that because typically the united states for toys and things uh tends to be the largest market the, the mm-hmm. biggest market for this kind of stuff is Japan, China, uh, and as oddly enough, Canada for some reason. I don't know. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, North, so, you know, regions of North America, and it seems like, I mean, don't get me wrong, the United States is up there. Uh, I think we're, I was talking with, with someone who runs a, um, who is an actual seller, and they, I think they told me that maybe the United States runs third in the list of largest uh, buyers of these high-end collectibles. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, we're up there, but we're nowhere near, um, nowhere near the top. Japan is, of course, on top. Oh, wow. 
that's cool. All right, so yeah, that's plenty of news for the uh, kaiju collectors out there. Uh, we're going mm -hmm. to make sure to include more of the collector uh, side of things in our news segment because uh, we have Michael here who's an expert on it. <laughs> I used to leave it out of the notes because I didn't know anything about it. So it's like, you know, I, I don't know what to say. It's like, oh, this sounds cool. I don't know what Rick is, um, but now I do because of Michael. So yes. <laughs> Uh, it's so it's definitely yeah it's definitely sort of a subculture within the fandom uh, itself yeah. and and I, I thank you Travis for calling me an an expert I don't necessarily I don't see myself as an expert I just kind of learn from veteran collectors uh, that I'm a part like when I'm in, when I'm in in my groups and things I'm just talking with all kinds of people that have done this way longer and have way bigger collections than I do. Um, so yeah, that's where I look, get all my information and knowledge from some of those guys and girls that have been collecting for so long, but thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I think that's it for the news, um, yep. segment. So now we can get into our main topic for this. All week. right. So we are closing out. I know technically this episode is going to be released. Uh, the first week of June, so we're actually mm -hmm. technically already out of Mech Month, but we're we're actually recording it. It's still May, so uh, it's still Mech Month for us. And because of Kaiju quarantine, it got delayed a week, so uh, that's what's going on. But we are closing out Mech Month with a big one. Uh, and the uh, trivia question that I asked last week and the week before. Um, uh, that we posted on the Kaiju Group B Facebook group and all over our social medias was which Godzilla film caused Universal Studios to file a lawsuit claiming it was too similar to their TV shows The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman? Right. So some of the answers that we got. Uh, my best friend in the whole world, Kershaw, uh, answered uh, with Terror of Mechagodzilla. If I remember correctly, the biologist's daughter was saved and made into a cyborg. That's similar enough to the $6, billion, $6 million man uh, and bionic woman. Uh, close, close Kershaw, but not, not the right answer. Uh, Rick Harner gave us the correct answer. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, aka Godzilla versus the Cosmic Monster, aka Godzilla versus the Bionic Monster, which is the reason why uh, Universal sued him. Because in America, it was going to be released under the title Godzilla versus the Bionic Monster, which was too similar, they said, to the Bionic Woman. Meh. Uh, Dylan Nolan also said Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Brandon Hurst uh, said uh, that he thought it was Terror of Mechagodzilla uh, since the Cyborg Girl. Um, so a couple of people, it, yeah, it, it threw a few people off with the uh, with it, which is which is good. I didn't want it to be too easy of a question. <laughs> Uh, Giant Monster BS, our friends over at Giant Monster BS podcast. Uh, I I know that they this is they know that this is not the correct answer, but they just threw it out there because, like I said, you can give us any answer and we'll give you a shout out. So a big shout out to Giant Monster BS podcast. If you're uh, not listening to them, give them a give them a listen because they are a great uh, podcast and a great couple of guys over there. Yep, they have uh, a lot but, of fun. Yeah. Uh, they said Gojira <laughs> as as it uh, 
and then Elijah, another one of our uh, friends who has a Kaiju podcast, Kaiju Conversations. Uh, check him out. He was just a guest on last week, so I'm not going to give him as many plugs because all of his plugs are in last week's episode. Go check out that. <laughs> Sorry, Elijah. Uh, he said uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, a.k.a. Godzilla versus the Bionic Monster, a.k.a. Godzilla versus the Cosmic Monster. Uh, he said also known as Godzilla versus the Multiple Titles. <laughs> uh, and then Nathan from Monster Island Film Vault podcast. Give him a listen, too, because he's a great great uh guy we're actually going to mention nathan a few times in this episode because uh yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get to it um but he he listed out uh godzilla versus the 650 million yen bionic cyborg <laughs> give or take a few yen depending <laughs> on the exchange rate <laughs> oh nathan uh, and then Thorax, one of our Patreons, gave us the correct answer. Godzilla versus the Cosmic or Bionic Monster, a.k.a. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla from 1974. Directed by Jun Fukuda, starring Masaki Daimon, uh, Kazuya Aoyama, uh, Akihiko Hirata, Hiroshi Koizumi, uh, Iseo Zushi as Godzilla, and uh, let's see, Kazunari Mori as Mechagodzilla, and Kenichi Kasumi as Angiris and King Caesar. Okay, so let's get down to it because I'm, I'm anxious to get into this conversation. Yeah. Uh, it is it is worth mentioning though, Travis, because um, this is actually the final Godzilla film directed by Jun Fukuda and scored by uh, Mr. Sato. Mm-hmm. Yep, Masaru uh, Masaru Sato uh, yes. was the one who scored it. This was his last one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, I'll go ahead and do the uh, plot breakdown. A quick sure. plot breakdown for this movie, and then we can get into our thoughts. Uh, when archaeologist Seiko Kaneshiro deciphers an ancient Okinawan prophecy foretelling a monster which will appear to destroy the world, Godzilla suddenly appears from the crater of Mount Fuji and goes on a rampage. However, Godzilla's friend, Angiris, uh, attacks him. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, where the... <laughs> This Godzilla is actually an imposter. The real Godzilla soon arrives to challenge his double, exposing it as a ro robotic duplicate called Mechagodzilla. Mechagodzilla is under the control of the Black Hole Planet 3 aliens who aim to use it to conquer the Earth. Psycho and her ally, Kisuke, now race to awaken the Okinawan guardian deity, King Caesar, to defeat Mechagodzilla. Pursued by the sinister alien agent Yanagawa and shadowed by the mysterious Interpol agent Namba uh, Nambara. Is yes. that how you say his name? Yeah, Nambara. Uh, so, yeah, a uh, lot, of, lot of stuff going on. It's actually, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff going on in this movie. So, what are your opening thoughts on Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla? I... Okay, so this film ranks probably top five in my Godzilla films. Not sure where it ranks 
uh, overall kaiju films, including you know Godzilla, Gamera, and some others. Uh, I've not sat down and really thought about that part yet, but it's definitely right. top five um, of my Godzilla films because you know this is this is Mecha Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla. It's his uh, debut film, and usually I'm one of those people who thinks that when a, when a new kaiju makes their debut, uh, usually the very first film that they make their debut in, um, then they that's when they look the best, that's when they perform the best. You know, of course, this is all rubber suits and foam, so of course the, the suit deteriorates over time. But my God, this film is so much fun, and really... Um, after learning what you and I both know about the film, it, it to me has a lot more deeper meaning uh, when you watch this uh, for this, you know, we watched the, I watched it twice in the last couple of weeks and I, and there's always just these little, these little nuggets of information that I was kind of picking up on after listening to some other great commentary that we'll mention later uh, by some friends of ours. And um, but yeah, I mean, it's just fantastic. I love this movie, and maybe I'm just being like a super fanboy right now, but I really think that that Mechagodzilla. I know a lot of folks put Terror of Mechagodzilla above this one. I don't know if that's fair, given the fact that you know the it's it's fairly well written. The cast is really great, and there's there's cultural and historical significance behind you know why things are in this film, and it just makes for a really really good experience. Yeah, um, I so my opening thoughts on this. This movie has never been one of the, my most beloved Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say, and I still stand by it, that I like every Godzilla movie in some way, in some form. Right. Um, so there's not a single Godzilla movie that I just don't like, absolutely do not like. Sure. But this one does kind of rank low on my list and uh not too long ago i did uh put my list of uh in order of what i you know at least currently how i feel about the movies because that you know things always change constantly but i did put it on letterboxd my uh i you know put the rankings of all 35 godzilla films and i was just sitting here while you were talking counting down to see where this one was on the list and it's number 19. Oh, come on. Uh, it's come not, on. It's, I mean, it's above, it's above things like, you know, Godzilla versus Megalon. It's above things like, uh, Godzilla versus, uh, or, um, King Kong versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, it's above things like that, but I, I just, I've never been a huge fan of this particular movie. Terror of Mechagodzilla. I'm one of those ones that Terror of Mechagodzilla definitely ranks a lot higher than this one. And I know that this is the premiere of Mechagodzilla. And I know that that really says a lot because the premiere of a kaiju is an important thing. Mm. I just, but I, even watching it this morning, I was like, I, I don't know. I, I don't rank this one as high as other ones like if i when i go to my godzilla collection and i'm and i just want to sit down and enjoy a godzilla movie not for reviewing for the podcast not for any other reason just to sit down and enjoy a godzilla movie mecha godzilla at least you know this versus mecha godzilla 
is not one of the ones that I reach for. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. I, I, it's not one that I reach. It is, like I said, I, it is top five for me, but it's not one that I reach for very often. So it's a loose top five, I guess is what, is what I can, mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Uh, probably the one that I reach for the most. Oh man, that's probably got to be uh, either Ghidra, the three headed monster or monster zero, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, those are probably the two that I reach for the most often. Uh, if I'm going to watch a classic Showa film, now there's others, uh, you know, in the Heisei and Millennium era, but we're only talking about Showa right now. So as far as Showa films go, Mechagodzilla is up there uh, for me, but it's one that I don't reach for often. But after watching this this last time and knowing what I know about the film now, I have a feeling that I'm probably going to be reaching for it more often. Yeah, so let's let's get into some of the details and and likes and dislikes about this this movie. Um sure. so let's just go ahead and 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 uh and talk about the elephant in the room, um which is the uh another podcast Kaiju Vision Radio, uh mm-hmm. which our friend Nathan was on uh originally along with uh another friend of the podcast Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh they did an episode on this and they talked about the history of Okinawa, which is where this movie takes place. Right. Uh, majority of it anyway. And it probably is the best place to go to for information on this film. Mm-hmm. It is probably the definitive podcast uh, on this particular film. Yeah. Because it is so well done with mm. so much information in there that I had no idea about. And <laughs> doing a lot of the research on my own, finding out a lot of the stuff that, that I missed you know, when I was younger and didn't know about this stuff that now I see. Like the, you know, a lot of the exploration and references to Okinawan culture and religion mm. and everything. It, is, it did heighten my appreciation for this film um so do you want to get into some of the things uh just you know like i said i do encourage people go check out kaiju vision radio there's an old episode it's from back in 2018 uh where they reviewed godzilla versus mechagodzilla check that out because they do a much better job breaking down the actual history of okinawa but just just as a brief overview uh, you know, Okinawa, the islands of, that make up the Okinawa prefecture, they weren't part of Japan hundreds of years ago. You know, they right. had their own culture, their own uh, people, their own dialect, everything. And then Japan, Imperial Japan, came and basically took over and said, you're now part of Japan. And there was a time period for a, for a long time when Imperial Japan was trying to eliminate Okinawan culture. They were, you know, trying to prevent people from speaking their language, from practicing their religion, from doing all that. You know, they were basically waging a silent war Mm -hmm. on Okinawan culture. Well, it's not even, I don't even think, honestly, from what I've read and what I've heard and and listened to about this movie and about sort of the history 
behind it and Okinawan culture, I don't even, I wouldn't even really call it a silent war because, uh, for, for example, um, uh, Nathan talked about how in, in schools where they were trying to integrate schools between the Okinawan children and the, and the Japanese children. And if a, if a child spoke Okinawan, I guess that's what it's called. I, I have to, I can't, I can't really recall exactly what the, what the name of the language, the name of the dialect. Well, anyway, Okinawan dialect. Mm-hmm. Um, if that child spoke Okinawan dialect, they had to wear this ridiculous, like, I think they call it a dialect card or a dialect something, which is this thing that they put around their neck and they, that child had to wear it until some other child spoke in the Okinawan dialect. And then that child passed the plate onto that child. And so basically at the end of the day, whomever child was unlucky enough to still have that thing around their neck got punished by the teacher. And it was really this, it was this really cruel way for, uh, for the, for the, for the Japanese to try to basically eliminate the Okinawan culture from Japan, trying to separate, is trying to make a distinction between the Tokyo dialect um, that most people spoke in that, in that region. And then of course the, the, the dialect that was spoken on the Island of Okinawa. And it was just really, just really cruel, really cruel things that they did to try to, dis, to discriminate. Yeah. Um, which those folks. Yeah. And which led to a lot of the Okinawan people kind of resenting and, uh, and, and really rebelling against the Japanese authority. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they started rebelling against the Japanese um, uh, rule up until the war. And then after or the Second World War, then after the Second World War and after uh, Japan uh, surrendered to the United States, the United States decided to basically occupy Okinawa for really a long time. I mean, they occupied a lot of Japan, but especially in Okinawa, they, they were occupying that area uh, for a long time. And it wasn't until 19, mm-hmm. was it, uh, let me see, it was 1971 was when America gave Okinawa back to Japan, which was kind of a bittersweet thing for the Okinawans mm-hmm. because it's like, well, we're trading our new uh, oppressors with the old oppressors that we were already rebelling against because they were the ones that were oppressing us beforehand. So it's like we're not really getting there. You know, the right. Okinawans were getting the raw deal on all of it. Right. And I think those negotiations had been going on since the late sixties too. I think it was like 1967 or 1968 uh, mm-hmm. until it finally happened under the, under the Nixon administration. Yeah. So all of that is happening in the world. And then they decide to Jun Fukuda and all of them decide to make a Godzilla film and they set the Godzilla film in Okinawa and they have a monster that is rooted directly into Okinawan culture with King Caesar, which we can talk about in just a second. Sure. And they have the Japanese monster, Mm -hmm. Godzilla, fighting alongside the Okinawan monster of King Caesar, Mm -hmm. fighting these evil invaders 
And it's just kind of like, wow, how culturally significant and historically significant this film is given right. the time period and what was happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so good. Go it's ahead. interesting. I was just, I'm sorry. It's interesting. I was just going to say that, you know, when you first, when, when Mechagodzilla first emerges, he emerges not in the form that we all know and love him. in. he actually emerges in a, in a form that has been lovingly called fake Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he first emerges, he he first comes out of Mount Fuji in Japan, um, and then slowly, you know, makes his way to I, I want to say uh, he he makes his way to Okinawa um, to begin his assault. But one thing I think you and I were talking about um, earlier today was it it was it was funny to me where you know Mechagodzilla was created in Japan in Mount Fuji. At least that's where he emerged from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then here comes Godzilla to fight Mechagodzilla. And then, you know, uh, the, the first round, like round one goes to Mechagodzilla. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the battle happens at the oil refinery, which was a fantastic sequence because I can see why a lot of fans love that sequence. And I do too. Um, but, you know, after the battle, after, you know, Godzilla is wounded and he's obviously wounded because there's blood in the water. He travels to Okinawa to gain power to help him fight a uh, a monster that emerged from Mount Fuji in Japan. So I'm not sure if that was purposeful symbolism, like, um, you know, the Japanese monster Godzilla going to Okinawa to get more power, to join forces with the Okinawa monster, King Shiza, or King Caesar, uh, however you want to say it, um, right. to fight a monster that emerged from Mount Fuji in Japan, who is seen as the the evil invader in Mechagodzilla. Yeah. Yeah, it it is really interesting. This this movie has a lot more layers than what I thought when I was younger watching it or even up until about a year ago. I mm-hmm. I did not know all of these details and all of this history that adds a lot of extra depth to this movie. Yeah, it, it becomes it becomes even more prevalent when you see the old man, the old priest Mm-hmm. Um, begging the gods, begging King Shisa and, and the gods to to punish Japan using Godzilla, who is a Japanese monster. So basically using their own creation to destroy their enemy um, because they didn't know whether or not they were going to be able to awaken King Shisa. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting movie. Um, there's a lot of interesting things in it now that you know. Now that you know the history and the backstory, there's a lot of details in it that's really, really just interesting. Um, uh, one thing that I do really like is you, we talked about the fake Godzilla. I I think that's a fun concept of mm-hmm. having Mechagodzilla imitate and and look like Godzilla and and pretend to be. Godzilla up until, you know, Anguirus, or as they call him in the movie, Anguinus. <laughs> <laughs> justice for Ang- justice for Anguirus, because nobody can get that poor kaiju's name right. 
Yeah, no, it's so bad. And and, and justice for and and Guinness because uh man did he get a raw deal in this movie. <laughs> he <laughs> got did. his butt handed to him. Well, let me ask you, um, now that you brought that up, let me ask you. That first fight between Ang- Angiris, I keep on I I'm having to catch myself. Uh-huh. Uh, the first the, the first fight between Angiris and the fake Godzilla. Uh obviously the fake Godzilla wins. Obviously Mecha Godzilla wins. Um Mhm. So are you in the camp of Angiris died or Angiris was just injured and retreated? Um, I did pay attention to it in the movie and it looked like he was still going and still moving after, uh, after the attack from Mechagodzilla. So I'm in the camp of he survived and just retreated. Sure. Yeah. I, I, same here. I, I Cause it's, it's sort of a, a not a sort of a lighthearted debate in in sort of in the fandom about this movie is whether or not Angiris survived that battle or if he died if he just fell in a hole and died pretty much but we never see him again the whole movie so right i get why he was there but it just felt like it, it almost felt like he was unnecessary to me yeah in yeah a way. I mean, I get why I get why the scenes, uh, the fight is there because you have to establish mm-hmm. how dangerous uh, Mechagodzilla is, right? And having a another monster fight him and lose because mm-hmm. you can't have Godzilla lose too badly because Godzilla is your hero, right? So having another monster lose as badly as Angiris did really establishes just how dangerous Mechagodzilla is. So I, the point of the scene I get, and I don't um, argue against the, the point of the scene or, or having the scene in there. What I don't like is just how brutal it got. Like it seemed unnecessarily mean towards Angiris. <laughs> like, well, like, I don't know if June Fukuda really likes Angiris <laughs> after seeing this movie. <laughs> No, I think it just was, uh, see, because at this point in in Toho, his, at this point in like sort of the Godzilla mythos and Toho history, you know, Angiris has been for, has been uh, seen as this as Godzilla's sidekick, as Godzilla's sidekick, as Godzilla's best friend, mm-hmm. uh, his BFF, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and for him to lose to gods now angiris does not have let me just say this angiris does not have the best track record in these films but i i get why they put him in there because it was basically saying oh no you know godzilla's best friend is being attacked and defeated by this unknown this unknown enemy and i think they even or this sort of unknown enemy and I think they even made reference to it later on that Angiris was calling out to Godzilla because Angiris uh, sensed something was wrong, which was kind of, which actually it was weird how the, now I think you and I watched the international dub the second time mm-hmm. and the film opens up. And I cannot remember if it, if it did this in the Japanese ber- version, I think it does, but it opens up with this rainstorm and, Angiris is the first kaiju you see within the first couple of minutes of the film and Angiris is just calling out to someone and then you see Mount you see Mount Fuji or you see um sorry not Mount Fuji but you see um just this island explode with light and you're like oh my god what's 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 happening what's going on and 
Um, I didn't quite understand it growing up and watching this film as a maybe an eight or ten year old kid. And uh, I, I think I even mentioned it in my notes here that I thought it was weird how Godzilla had a different roar than what he had in the previous films. Like he doesn't have that usual that shrunk that that mm-hmm. she ronk whatever i'm not gonna do it here but <laughs> <laughs> but um he doesn't have that typical godzilla sound to him and i thought that was very jarring and i was like man what's going on here because you know at 10 years old you're not able to kind of get some of these context clues as these complex com- these complex context clues that this movie's throwing out to you right yeah, yeah. I that's why I think that the uh the concept of a a monster that's imitating and faking being Godzilla is mm-hmm. a really neat concept and I, I I think it's weird that this is really the only film that that's used in because it's never been used again. None of the other mecha Godzillas ever pretend to be, you know, regular Godzilla. No other monster ever imitates Godzilla. Mm-hmm like that and i think that that would be a really neat concept to uh use again in a film you know having a monster that pretends to be godzilla and until it's revealed that it's not godzilla i think that's a neat thing we have uh we have those mistake we have those cases of mistaken identity before in these films like um uh, frankenstein versus baragon is a good example because there for a while you know as baragon is tearing up the countryside everyone thinks it's everyone thinks it's um frank uh, right so but you're right the 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 fact the the actual like um uh, i would say the stunt not stunt double but the actual mimicked uh clone of the protagonist godzilla has not been done since and i think it is an interesting concept um that i really wish that i really hope that if the rumors are true they play around with in godzilla versus kong yeah, that would be interesting. It'd be interesting to see it used again. Um, something else that I really liked that I wanted to point out, the the filmmaking, the uh, uh, filmmaking side of things, mm-hmm. there are some transition shots that I really like in this. And if I remember right, on Monsters vs. Men, our friends over at Monsters vs. Men podcast, they talked about the transition shots and how that that was actually a staple of Honda. Honda was known for using transition shots mm-hmm. the way that they're used in this movie, but uh, this is Jun Fukuda that that's doing this. But there are there were times when there would be like zoom in, they would zoom in on something and then zoom out on something and it was such a great transition scene to take you from one point to another in the story without really breaking the flow. Yeah. of it and, I, and so i just wanted to point out that you know as we don't we talk a lot about the monsters and the monster fights and things like that but but we we don't really go into a lot of the detail about the actual uh art artistry of the filmmaking and that to me you know just stood out in this film yeah and a that, there's a more. lot of uh there's a lot of interesting shots that of um one in particular that's that's extremely famous. It has become sort of a trope of the whole of the Mecha Gods of of any Mecha Godzilla. Anytime there's a Mecha Godzilla, this shot is used. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that floor level, you know, that full like slow reveal from the floor level up, and that mm-hmm. actually was ta- that that 
was taken from a film from the 60s, you know, King Kong Escapes. It was the first in that kind of uh, panning from the floor up was introduced then when uh, Mechani Kong, whom uh, Mechagodzilla was inspired by, was first mm-hmm. used. Yeah. Yeah, that it's interesting. Uh, yeah, again, we talked about it in our um, King Kong Escapes episode that when you're a kid uh, and you're a fan of Godzilla, you know Mecha Godzilla, and then if you find out about Mechanicong later, you're kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, well, they just ripped off Mecha Godzilla, but actually, it's nope. the other way around. Mechanicong came first. Mecha Godzilla was second. Uh, was directly inspired by Mechanicong. Uh, something that Mechanicong doesn't have, though, is the weaponry that Mechagodzilla oh, yeah. has. This thing is loaded to the tooth with all kinds of weapons, which makes that fight. Anytime Mechagodzilla fights, uh, especially you know during the fights with uh, King Shiza and Godzilla, it is just such an epic scene. Uh, seeing him fight because he mm-hmm. just just especially when he like full on releases everything just a barrage of lasers and and torpedoes and rockets and just everything that he has oh man it's so crazy I love watching Mechagodzilla fight yeah and it's <laughs> it's one of, it's considered you know Mechagodzilla it's why Mechagodzilla is considered um and they flip flop between either. Uh, King Ghidorah and Mechagodzilla as Godzilla's most challenging enemy uh, mm-hmm. because of the fact that he, like you said, he is literally armed to the teeth where he's got missiles as tongue. He's got missile in his mouth. He's got missiles in his fingers, missiles in his toes, missiles in his uh, uh, knees, kneecaps. Yep. He's got kneecap missiles of all things. Uh, a, be- a belly ray gun that shoots from his sort of abdomen region. He's got eye. He's got this eye beam that he can mm-hmm. shoot out. This colorful rainbow colored eye beam, which just looks fantastic during that night scene at the at the oil refinery. And yeah, he is just armed to the teeth, except for his back. It, well, he can spin his head around and create a force field, so I guess that counts. But as far as shooting things from his back, uh. You know, it's iffy. It's iffy. He can sort of turn his head around and shoot in different directions. Like, I think there's one shot in the film where it's Godzilla on one side, King Shisa on the other side, and, and you know, Mechagodzilla has his finger missiles and his toe missiles aimed at Godzilla and his, uh, his face missiles and his face beam aimed at uh, King Shisa. And... Um, yeah, it's just really interesting that they armed this specific kaiju or how much they how much artillery they put on this specific kaiju. And I think that's one of the reasons why Mechagodzilla still remains or this, especially this version of Mechagodzilla still remains the favorite for so many fans. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um so we've we've talked a lot about the the good things in this movie and there are a lot of great things to in this mm-hmm. movie. Let's talk about some dislikes. What are some things <laughs> you didn't like in this movie? Uh, well, aside from justice for Anguirus or justice for Anguinus is probably what we mm-hmm. should say because people kept screwing up his name in the, at least in the international dub. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fake Godzilla looks really bad. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It does look really bad. I get it that they had to have some kind of, uh, of uh, differences between the real Godzilla and the fake Godzilla, because 
in the first few sequences when we first see Mechagodzilla as Godzilla, they're using the actual Godzilla suit. They're not, um, they're not, it's not a brand new suit. It's the same suit except for they just change the roar and he moves a little bit more mechanically, uh, mechanical like anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I know, I know I'm going to get, I know that I'm going to get you on board with me on this and say the three and a half minutes it took to get past the King Shisa song. (laughs) Okay. One of the reasons why this movie does not sit higher up on my list of, of Godzilla movies Mm -hmm. is that King Shisa song. Mm -hmm. It drives me insane. Right. It drives me insane, and and it's not it's not that having uh singing parts in Godzilla movies bothers me because I I one of my favorite Godzilla movies of all time is Mothra versus Godzilla, and that of course has the the Mothra song in it. Mm-hmm. I just when you compare the King Shiza song with other songs that we have sung in Godzilla movies maybe minus the jet jaguar song um it just doesn't it, it it's it's not good to me it's not it's not as good uh and it to me it actually really annoys me and mm-hmm. and gets on my nerves and and i remember watching it and i was like it there's a point in the song where it kind of ends mm-hmm. and i'm like oh this wasn't as bad as i remember and then it picks back up again and i'm like oh Oh, okay. Oh, it cl- <laughs> like it's still it's still going. <laughs> it clearly ends. It clearly has an end point right there. But she but then she just starts all over. But I will agree with what Nathan said during his episode of KVR, where they drug it out to sort of create this. They helped create this suspenseful moment because as as she's singing, it cuts back and forth between her and Mechagodzilla approaching. And I'm th- and well, all the all the while I'm sitting there thinking, why doesn't Mechagodzilla just fire a missile and blow up the entire beach? And that would just kind of right. that would just kind of <laughs> nip that in the bud, now wouldn't it? But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, the, it was there to create some suspense. It was there to and and the girl that I was was actually singing the song. The way uh, the plot goes, King Shisa will only respond to. Uh, or can only be awakened by a member of the Azumi royal family. Um, mm. So I, I get, you know, I get why the song was so long. It's there to create suspense. I get why the song was put in there. Period. Because you know the 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 actress playing the priestess, um, you know, she's a member of the Azumi royal family, and it's just part of the mythology that sort of surrounds, um, you know, Shisa statues in general. So I get why it's there. Yeah. Um, It ties back into the Okinawan culture and everything. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I get it. And, and I don't want to be culturally uh, uh, insensitive towards it, but just the, that particular song, the way that it's used and the way it's done in the movie just does not hit with me the way that other songs in Godzilla movies do. No, I think it's I think honestly, I'm going to I'm going to uh kind of go against the grain on this one and say I think it's used well in the movie. I think it's I think that where it's placed in the film and why it's there and how it's used is fine. I think it fits the tone, it fits the the overall plot. It just goes on for too long. 
Um, so if it was only like one verse, if it was only the first, ver- it was only the, the one verse or the one go around of it. And then bam, King Shisa awakens. Um, yeah, I think it'd be fine. But let me ask you this, aside from the song itself, as a kaiju, what are your thoughts on King Shisa or King Caesar? Um, I have not made it any secret that I do not like the King Shisa uh, design. Um, I, I mean, the design, the idea behind it is cool. Like the idea of this Shiza statue, mm-hmm. which is where the name comes from, King Shiza, because he's a Shiza statue, uh, come to life is interesting. And I like that idea. Mm-hmm. I don't like the way it looks when okay. it's executed. Uh, I think that the the monster looks weird to me. He looks like he has like dead animals just draped across his body. (laughs) And I just, I've never been a fan of King Shisa the way he looks. Right. Okay. That's fair. Um, Um, What are your thoughts on King Shisa? I I don't mind King Shisa. Now I don't mind this version of King Shisa. Now the, the really weird version that we saw in final wars, I don't care for that version with the gold Um, bra. Yeah. With the gold uh, princess Leia bra that one um but no i i really don't mind him in fact i think he's a well for what he was supposed to be he was supposed to he was supposed to represent a shisa statue the protector of the okinawan people for what he was supposed to be i think he's executed well i think he is well executed in fact you know, rewatching this movie, I've gained sort of a, a, a more, I was sort of in your camp, Travis, where I didn't really care much for King Caesar, King Shisa, whatever you call him. Um, and I didn't care for him, but after watching this movie and after knowing what I know now about this film, and this is sort of a trend, I feel like what we're talking about here, we, you know, you know, what we've learned about this film has made us appreciate it more. Um, I appreciate King Shisa more now that I know what I know about this film. And I just don't, I don't mind the design too much. It's unique. He stands out among all the other Kaiju, all the other reptilian dragon dinosaur flying, uh, uh, flying dinosaur Kaiju that are out there. I, I don't mind it too much. And the way he's implemented and my big gripe with King Shisa is he doesn't have a whole lot in the way of powers and abilities. Now he has his, he can reflect attacks he can't reflect missiles obviously in mechagodzilla has a lot of those but he can uh reflect he mechagodzilla's beam he can rec- reflect his heat ray with his eye um, right and i think that's hinted to when king shisa is first awakened because when the statue the, when the shisa statue is placed on the pedestal uh, at sunset and the the ruby the, his eyes are rubies and they glow and they shoot this this red beam from them and uh, hollow out the mountain revealing King Shisa for the first time. It's an interesting, it's interesting that they carry that, that um, ability over to the actual Kaiju. And I actually don't mind the, I don't mind the Kaiju too much. Uh, I like the fact that he's more hand to hand combat. He's not necessarily just a, a Kaiju that sits back and, and does long distance long distance um attacks so this is unlike anything we've seen i mean we've seen a lot of hand-to-hand combat but we see a lot more hand-to-hand combat i feel like in this film because when when he first 
uh, encounters Mechagodzilla, he gets down and dirty with mm-hmm. Mechagodzilla for sure. Like in one sequence, he's like he's trying to bite the hand off of Mechagodzilla. It's very animalistic, and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I do think that the introduction of Shiza, you know, him being with, you know, inside this mountain that mm-hmm. you know gets exposed and he's just there hibernating. I think that's really interesting, and I guess my my dislike of King Caesar has softened since learning a lot about the the story mm-hmm. and the history behind it and where his inspiration came from. Um, I still just I don't like the execution. I think the, that that he's just a weird looking monster to me. I don't know. I've never really liked the design that much, but I do appreciate it a little bit more since that's learning fair. some of the some of the uh, context of it. Yeah, that's um, fair. Yeah, I uh, so going with dislikes. Uh, I have mixed feelings about Godzilla using magnetic powers <laughs> yeah at okay. the end now i i do uh i i i'm not against godzilla having new and interesting powers like you know that's that's fine if he invents new powers each movie you know basically that's that that's fine but there's something about him getting the magnetic powers and especially the way he does it, because I, I get that it was like a, a throwback to the, uh, what was it? Son of Godzilla or not son of Godzilla, uh, Godzilla versus the sea monster uh, okay. where, where lightning, uh, was used to wake him up mm-hmm. and which was only used because it was supposed to be Frankenstein, then was supposed to be King Kong, then was right. changed to Godzilla. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the only reason that was e- that scene was even in that movie was because it was never changed when it was originally supposed to be a different monster. And then they just carried that idea of Godzilla using uh, lightning to power up uh, over in this film. But just, I don't know. I don't like the magnetic powers that he just suddenly got at the end. Yeah, I think it plays... I think it plays well with what we had seen throughout the seventies and uh, through the seventies and you know, the Godzilla franchise during that decade was very, you saw what people referred to as superhero Godzilla um, Mm -hmm. started with uh, what was the first seventies film? Oh, Godzilla versus Gigan. It started Mm -hmm. sort of there. um, Although I will argue that it sort of even started even in 68 with destroy all monsters, but it, it it became very prevalent in uh, the set in, in in the seventies with Godzilla versus Gigant, and then it got turned up to eleven in Godzilla versus Hedera when Godzilla found the when Godzilla gained the ability to fly, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is funny. And then of course uh, Godzilla versus Megalon when he teams up with Jet Jaguar um, and has more of an anthropom- anthro- anthropomorphic, if I can talk today. Um, sort of look and feel to his character. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, the, the, the infamous dropkick scene comes to mind. Mm-hmm. When you, you can't talk about Godzilla versus Megalon unless you mention the infamous dropkick scene. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, but it's, it doesn't bother me that he got a new power given the fact that it's sort of a trope of the superhero genre anyway 
where when you're up against a, a, an enemy that you've really never experienced before, who is much more powerful than you anticipate, it's not uncommon for superheroes to develop or discover a brand new ability that they can tap into to defeat their enemy. So it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, I get it. Uh, it's just magnetic powers just seem so weird for Godzilla to have, but um, it, it's it's one of the small things that it does. It's it's a dislike, but it's not enough to break the entire movie for me. Like I can, you know, I can go along with the ride. Oh, absolutely. It's like okay, Godzilla is magnetic. All of a sudden, that's fine. I can go along with the ride. Uh, something else that I can just kind of go along with the ride sure. is the fact that they just had a duplicate of the Shiza statue that looks exactly like the real thing. <laughs> It was just so weird that yeah. this, because uh, one of the uh, simians, one of the uh, aliens, comes to steal the Shiza statue, and the main uh, hero character goes after him and fights him off and everything, and he ends up getting shot and goes overboard with the statue, and it's like, oh no, what, you know, oh no, what's going to happen? We lost the statue, and then the next scene is, oh, here's the statue, that one was just a decoy, boop a boop, let's move on. And it's like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I that was uh, that was one of those plot holes that I wish had a little bit more explanation, and and maybe they did explain it, and I just missed it uh, because you know I'm I'm human, and I, I we do miss stuff no matter how many times we've seen these movies. Uh, but yeah, that that bugged me too that there was really yeah. it just kind of it just kind of came out of left field, honestly. And, and it's never really talked about yeah. from then on. It's just like, oh, boop, 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 let's move on. Yeah. You know, it's just like, okay, whatever. Um, but that that whole scene, that whole sequence did give me one of my favorite moments in the film, which is when the simian, when the alien uh, gets attacked mm -hmm. and half his face changes back into the ape face right. and half of it changes or stays in the human form. Mm -hmm. That shot mm -hmm. was really well done, yeah. even for the 1970s, even for the low budget, because this movie was relatively low budget um, compared to other Godzilla films mm -hmm. in the past. That shot was so well done, and the special effects of having it half half human, half uh, alien was just so good. So I, I had to give a shout out to that scene, because that was just a really well done scene. Uh, so I'm really surprised that we've went this entire conversation and we've really not even touched on sort of the, the Simeon Supreme leader and just how I, I believe that he's, he's a very well done villain. He's very Americanized though. I thought he was very bond villain like with his, with his, mm -hmm. with his cigar and his sort of smug demeanor and his cognac glass with it in his little sniff in his little snifter. And he was very bond like, and I think that's one of the reasons why I like this film. I like spy movies. Um, so that's, this film sort of feels like that to me, but what did you think about his character and what did you think about sort of just the, as a whole, what did you think about the antagonist, the Simeons anyway? Um, I really liked his character. I really liked, uh, mm -hmm. like you said, the, just the whole James Bond kind of, he, he has this like suave, uh, personality to him you know, right, he's yeah. so cool and so debonair uh for 
for being the villain, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I, I like that. Um, I, 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 I do enjoy the Simeons um, for the most part. They, they serve their purpose uh, mm-hmm. in this movie. I like them more in the, in terror than I do in this movie. Okay. Um, I don't know why I just, I, I do. Uh, but I do, like you said, I do like this kind of suave debonair mm-hmm. uh, aura that this, that this, uh, that the villain was the Supreme leader was putting out in this movie. Um, I want, I wanted to ask you actually. So when it comes to the alien uh, Supreme leaders uh, or, or, you know, the alien invaders, mm-hmm. where do you rank this on the, Alien Invader Godzilla's uh, list. Because <laughs> uh, we've got the Exilians from Monster Zero. Right. We've got the Space Roaches from uh, Gigan. Mm-hmm. You've got... Uh, the Disco Space Nuns from Destroy All Monsters. Disco Space Nuns from Destroy All Monsters. And then if you get into the Heisei and Millennium Eras, there's some more... Yeah. Um, but where, so where where would you rank these on the list? I'm gonna say that you know the Exilians from Monster Zero have always been the top for me as far as the mm-hmm. leaders. I feel like they did it the best. Um, and I'm gonna go ahead and put the Simians right behind them at at, at probably spot at, at spot number two. Uh, with the roaches being dead last, I even like I like the disco space nuns more so than I like the roaches, which I think that uh, uh, well, I love the space roaches. I don't really I love this. I don't like bugs. Okay, well, the I mean the idea it is kind of a silly concept, but I mean it also is a silly movie, right? Yeah. But the actor, one of the 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 one actor, I can't remember his name, who plays one of the space roaches in that movie, is so good. Though mm. he's so good, he's probably one of the hammiest and best actors. He he is chewing every bit of scenery that he is in, and I love it. Um, so I always put them higher up on the list. Um, I'm going to count the uh, – I know they don't technically count, but I'm going to count the uh, Cetopians from Megalon and put them at the bottom of the list because I don't I don't really care for them. But yeah, the Disco Space Nuns, I don't really care for them either. So the Simians I put is kind of like in the middle because I do really like the Exilians. Sure. Especially when they come back and they're reinterpreted in uh, Final Wars. I I really like the crazy anime uh, Super Saiyan Exilian <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, he's obviously a favorite uh, among the, the among the fan base. But for me, um, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and go with the original Exilians um, from from uh, Invasion of Astro Invasion of the Astro Monster, and then put the Simians as a close second. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, you talked about the James Bond feel of this movie. That's one of the things that I found myself while watching this movie. Which I didn't as a kid, because as a kid, I'm more interested in the monsters. But in this movie, uh, or this time around, when watching this movie, I actually was very interested in the human side of things. And 
was very wrapped up in that story more than I was the actual monster fights. Right. And so I was very surprised by how much I enjoyed uh, the the human element in this movie. Let me ask you, what did you think of her of Harada's performance in this one? Because well, I'll I'll ask you first, and then I'll kind of go into my thoughts. So, what did you think of his performance in this film? I think he did a great job. I, I think you know he he has this. I mean, you know, this isn't his first time playing a scientist. So we're talking about Akihiko uh, Harada, mm-hmm. uh, who played Doctor Sarazawa in the original Gojira. Right. Um, has come back to play the the geology professor, archaeology professor, some kind of professor mm-hmm. in in this movie, and he 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 plays a great professor because uh, you know he tends to play that a lot in these movies. But yeah, I really liked it. I think that he he portrayed the conflict that this that this uh, professor was supposed to have uh, because you know he's he's helping the aliens but he knows he shouldn't but at the same time he's doing it because of for the love of his daughter and so you know you do see the conflict in him uh so i definitely think that his performance you know was good and he really did a great job in this movie yeah and then you know the same the the story sort of gets re the story like that sort of gets rehashed in terror of mechagodzilla with dr mafune and katsura right so i mean it's not you know, it's not the most original uh, trope uh, of this type of film, but I really enjoyed his performance too. And I think, I think it was a really, considering this is the 20th anniversary of Godzilla, it was a really nice way to kind of bring it or to, in a way, bring it full circle uh, mm-hmm. because it is the 20th anniversary. Because at this time, I don't know if Terror of Mechagodzilla had already been planned. Uh, or if they were kind of banking on um, this being the final film, I'll have to go back and kind of research the history behind the Showa era and, and what was going on at this time. But I want to say that uh, Terror of Mechagodzilla had not even been planned yet uh, at this point, that this was supposed to be the final film of the Showa era and probably the the, the final Godzilla film, period, because at the time... You know, Godzilla and kaiju movies were not doing great at the box office. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about about that. I'll have to go back and I'll have to go back and re and and find some information on that. I want to say that Terror of Mechagodzilla had not been planned yet at this point. And they were just kind of waiting on the success of this film to go forward with another film. Uh, But I'm not 100 percent sure on that. So I'll have to find that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can go on and on about this movie because there are there are plenty of great things in this movie. There's plenty of things to praise. I mean, we didn't even get into the score. Like we said, it was the first, or not the first, but the last time that it was scored by, um, oh, whatchamacallit? I, I lost his name. Sato. Uh, yeah, yeah, Sato uh, Mas- Masaru. Yes. Uh, that... Uh, we didn't even get into that really, but, but we need to move on. Sure. Um, so let's get into, well, let's share a few fun facts here real quick. So one of the fun facts that stood out to me, um, was the cavern in which the, the third planet aliens, mm-hmm. the aliens in this movie, 
um, have their secret base was is the Gyoku Sindo uh, cave in Okinawa. It's a real cave that was discovered in 1967, so it had not been long discovered when they filmed this movie. Okay. And it's also a uh, tourist attraction okay, good. there. Um, and another thing that stood out to me was this was the first Godzilla film in its original Japanese version to finally give on-screen credit to the suit uh, actors. Okay, good, great. Because up until that point, uh, the suit actors did not receive uh, on-screen, or they received on-screen credit, but it was just as regular cast members. They never got the recognition of being the actor portraying, you know, like, so it was, they uh, were given credit as the monster, the character that they were portraying uh, that had not been done before. Yeah. That's super interesting. I thought they, I thought they had always done that up to that point, but of course, whoever pays attention to the credits. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And, and that's something that I've, I've been wanting to do whenever we do our cast breakdown is to make sure to include the suit actors because they are an important part of the movie. You know, you could say one of the most important parts because without them we wouldn't have the monsters <laughs> that we love so much so um yeah other than that and then they you know i do have a, a little bit in here about the fake godzilla suit uh that was used as the disguised mech godzilla it was originally just a simple head uh water prop used in uh godzilla versus mech uh, megalon okay uh you know, so when Godzilla swam in the water, who uh, he was following Jet Jaguar in that movie, um, the head prop was attached to a whole new suit. Okay, uh, and then you know they added the exposed metallic parts and stuff to him to make him look like the uh, uh, fake Godzilla that's in the movie. Uh, this suit was also used in the closing shot of Godzilla swimming out to sea. Uh, at the end of Terror of Mechagodzilla 2. Um, but then they also made a completely new third suit. Uh, so there were three Godzilla suits used in this movie. Uh, and it was... Uh, the third suit was exclusively used for the water scenes. Mm-hmm. And... Oh boy, is it noticeable when <laughs> Godzilla pops up out of the water. Because <laughs> it does not look great. I, you know... Th- I know that's. I know we're not talking about Terror of Mechagodzilla here, but I remember that closing scene of the Showa era when kind of Godzilla roars and he looks like he kind of waves at the camera. Um, mm-hmm. I always wondered why they went with that particular suit to say farewell with, because if they thought they weren't going to be doing any more films, why not use the actual suit unless, you know, it was still undecided whether that would be the final film or not. So they didn't want to... Uh, waste uh, a perfectly good suit on a water shot like that. So I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, that's interesting. But you can honestly, but you can obviously tell that three different suits were made or were used in this film. It's really, it's actually kind of funny because the can, it, the scenes got to go back and forth between the fake Godzilla suit and the real Godzilla suit um, in some of the battle scenes. And it's just, it's just kind of weird and funny. And, and I know that the fake Godzilla suit has become sort of this um secret fan favorite because it is so different and you ob- and you mm-hmm. can recognize it from from any other suit in the Showa era but you can but you can definitely tell that thing was used in water because of just how swollen the face looks 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, you know, with it being used for a fake Godzilla, mm. it's fine because it, like this Godzilla is not meant to look right exactly like Godzilla. It's he's meant to look weird. Uh, the the one that gets me the most is when they cut to the actual Godzilla mm -hmm. coming out of the water, and they use that third suit, and that third suit looks so terrible compared to the you know, actual hero suit of right. Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> that's the one that stands out to me the most. But anyway, it's just a funny little thing. It is. Um, was there any uh, other fun facts that you wanted to share? Uh, no, no. I, I, I feel like, you know, before we get into our Godzuki score, I do have to say that out of all of the Godzilla films in the Showa era, this has to be my favorite score of any Showa era uh godzilla mm -hmm. movie i just love that big band kind of uh really hard jazz feel to it i just i love it so much and it's just, i i feel i would feel terrible if i did not mention that at least one time uh during this conversation yeah i can't believe that you put this above a an a fuku bay uh it's it's close i love a fuku bay i love an afuku bay score especially I think it was uh, Frankenstein versus Baragon, or maybe even the Gargantua score that I really love. But there's just something really unique about this score that stands out among them all. That mm -hmm. um, that it just makes it. It just makes it for me. It just makes this movie for me. Just especially that 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 song when um, when when God, uh, Mechagodzilla is first revealed. Just that dun 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 dun. dun. Yeah, that mm -hmm. fast, that really fast jazz. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That funky like seventies yeah. jazz that's yeah. Yeah. It's really good. I, it is good. Like I said, it is uh, something that we didn't really mention a whole lot, but it is a, a highlight from the film. Oh, for sure. Um, so yeah. So let's get into our Godzuki scores. Uh, for anybody who's new to the podcast, Godzuki is our yardstick that we use for measuring these movies. Godzuki being the bumbling nephew from the uh, Godzilla's nephew from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon of the 70s. And we pay hom uh, homage or homage to the great Godzuki by using him to measure these films. So, Michael, out of five Godzukis, what would you rate Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla? An, an easy four and a half. Easy. Easy four and a half all day long. Four and a half, four and a half Godzukis. I would have given it five if it was not for just some certain uh, plot holes that I wish were tidied up, but you know, such is life. Because I'm easy. Easy like Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so when I was watching this movie this morning, I put the score at a three out of five Godzukis because I was tired and I was grumpy. <laughs> uh, since, <laughs> since taking a nap and thinking about it. <laughs> oh, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> since taking a nap, I have, I have thought about it and I've increased my score to a four out of five okay. Godzuki's. That's a little uh, bit more because, respectable, Travis. 
Yeah, because the movie is really good. I I don't want to I don't want to take away from it. It is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not my favorite Godzilla movie. It's not one that I grab and and or gravitate to, but I do I do enjoy it, and it does deserve a higher rating than what I gave it when I was tired and grumpy and just wanting the movie to end so I could take a nap. Okay, <laughs> so we can just jump straight into final thoughts. Um, so. What are your final thoughts on Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla? Oh man, I feel like uh, I feel like you know if anyone has listened to this and not taken away that I love this movie, I don't know what they've been listening to for the last hour and a half. So, um, but yeah, I love this movie. But so, but really quickly before I kind of get into my final my my final final thoughts, I do have to say. I do have to give a couple of references that sort of we pulled some of this information from because I, you know, I just want to be uh, give proper accreditation. I think we mentioned it before uh, in the podcast, Travis, where we pulled some of the information about like Okinawa and the history there from uh, a podcast that we listened to. Uh, I think it's a Kaiju Vision Radio episode 19, uh, mm-hmm. where Nathan and Brian talk about uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla from 74, which is. To me, if you want a good breakdown of the film and you want to know a little bit of history in some of the some of the situations that were the cultural and uh, the cultural situation that was kind of going on at the time, um, the socio political side of it. If you want to if you want to know a little bit of that and dive super deep into it, I say go listen to episode nineteen of Kaiju Vision Radio. Because that episode does a fantastic job. Uh, Nathan and his co-host do a fantastic job of breaking down this film uh, in, from that context. Also, I just want to give a, a quick reference to a, a magazine or a website that I use sometimes for information called MyKaiju.com. Specifically, the MyKaiju magazine, Volume 2. They had a big spread about Showa films, specifically um Mechagodzilla and Terra of Mechagodzilla which where is where I pulled a lot of this information from but um you know like I said earlier although many rank Terra of Mechagodzilla above the original Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla this actually ranks top 5 in my list of Godzilla films it's uh it's it's fantasy science fiction spy genre historic historical and cultural significance all combine, I feel like, to create this film, to create a film that's just fantastic and timeless. Um, and after researching a little bit of the history uh, around surrounding this film and surrounding sort of the Okinawan people and so and and what was happening at that time, I have grown to have a, a deeper appreciation for what uh, Fukuda was trying to accomplish with this one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My final thoughts. Um, I. I said it during uh, Kaiju Quarantine at one point when I was doing just like a Q&A section in between the films. Um, but to me, the best films, or at least the most interesting Godzilla films, are when Godzilla stands for something. Mm-hmm. Like, he represents something. And and now, what he represents can change, because, you know... At, at, in 54 he represented the anxiety and fear of nuclear power right. and nuclear weapons uh in in uh the the late showa period he represented kind of the hero defending the earth sure. um and the fact that in this so much of this film 
Godzilla and King Shiza represent the relationship between Okinawa and mainland Japan or, or the rest of Japan mm-hmm. is, is really interesting and makes this movie a standout for that reason. Right. It's still personally not one of my favorite Godzilla movies, but it is definitely a well-done movie. It's a lot of fun to watch. And if you haven't watched it, if you're new to to Godzilla, new to Kaiju, because this podcast I like to think appeals to people who are not just long-term fans, but new fans sure. as well, or new to the genre. If you haven't watched this movie, watch it with that context of the sociopolitical and the history and realize what it uh, Godzilla and King Shiza represent. And it really is just a must watch. It's a must watch. Um, so yeah, I, again, it's still not one of my favorite personally, but it is a lot of fun and it's a must watch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I 1000% agree with you. Yeah. So, uh, let's now get into the mailbag Woo! and I, and I have a new, uh, theme song for the mailbag that I'm going to drop in, in here too. What's in the mail today? Um, so, uh, we got a letter, an email from my best friend in the whole world, Kershaw. I keep saying that, um, every time I mention him, but, uh, he sent us an email. He sent us two questions. I'm only going to bring up one question this week, and then I'll bring up the next question another week. Um, but, uh, so, you know, I'm just going to cover Kershaw. If you're listening, I'm just covering the first question or one of the questions that you sent. Uh, then the second one will cover another week. But, uh, his email says, Hey guys, long time listener, first time caller. He said, I always wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Uh, he, he said, I recently rewatched destroy all monsters and saw Gorosaurus burrow to attack Paris only for Baragon to be credited for it. Then when all the monsters were no longer under control of the Kelax and fought Ghidorah, Baragon stayed on the sideline. I just had to shout justice for Baragon. Hashtag justice for Baragon. <laughs> um, he, and the question he asks us, uh, the, the second question that he asked us that I'm referencing uh, this time around is, is geared t- more towards you, Michael, oh, okay. because it pertains to figures. Oh, okay. Uh, the question is, what are good Mechagodzilla, uh, specifically the first Mechagodzilla and the uh, third Mechagodzilla Kiryu figures that someone on a budget can get? Uh, he says, thank you for pumping out the content during these times. I know it definitely helped me out during my commute to and from work the past few months. Everyone stay safe. Hashtag justice for Waluigi, which is a reference from way on back early on the podcast, uh, because uh, I said that Baragon is the Waluigi of the Toho universe uh, for anybody who plays Smash Bros. Um, and then he said, hashtag Baragon for smash. <laughs> uh, so. Well, uh, Travis's best friend in the whole wide world, girl, y'all. Um, <laughs> honestly, okay. So I read this question beforehand. So I, I tried to gather up some information, uh, for you. And I think 
uh, Travis may be sending that your way. But I found a few links uh, on Amazon and some things. I don't, when people ask me about, when people ask me recommendations on a budget, I never know um, what people's budgets are. So I, I get real hesitant on, on recommending things. Um, so I took this from the perspective of someone who's kind of getting into collecting, who just wants to spend anywhere between 25 to say $50 USD, give or take. Um, so I found a few, um, I found a few links uh, on Amazon. Uh, the first one is a uh, Bandai Godzilla movie monster series, Mecha Godzilla. It's the heavily armed edition. Uh, it's the heavily armed Kiryu edition from 2003. Uh, right now, the price is setting around $27.93, so not too bad. It's about an eight-inch figure, so you're, it's a pretty good size. Um, Probably the second one that I found is a six-inch uh, vinyl Bandai Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla rather, 1974, um, and that's setting at a, anywhere. But it's setting. It looks like prices are uh, around twenty-eight to forty-one dollars USD. Uh, and then there's some others out I found out there. There's another. There's another Kiryu version. There's another Kiryu by Banpresto, which is another uh, vinyl figure maker uh i think they're out of i want to say they're out of korea maybe i'm not 100 percent sure about that um and he's a he's a 10 inch figure you can find him on amazon for around for I th it looks like it's dropped down in price to around 19 dollars 49 cents um but also i kind of just want to recommend you know if you're on facebook getting involved in some of the collectors groups uh, on Facebook because you're able, you'll be able to interact with other collectors. And, and there's a lot of times when collectors will post things for sale and they're not crazy prices. A lot of these guys and girls, uh, a lot of these ladies and gentlemen are selling things at sort of retail, sort of what, um, sort of what they purchase them for. So they're just, they're normally just going to say, Hey, I'm going to post this online. I just want to pass it on for what I paid for it and then kind of move on. So a couple of groups that I would probably play, I would probably try to join uh, is the first one is the Godzilla collectors group on Facebook. It's pretty easily, uh, you can find that one pretty easily. It's got around 4,000 or so members uh, involved with it. And also the X plus collectors club. Uh, if you're looking to get into something a little bit more high end like X plus and uh, premium Bandai and some others. So those are my recommendations. If you want something a little bit more specific, you can always email, or I'm sorry, you can always uh, get in touch with me over social media. Uh, the Kaiju Groupie, you can get in touch with me over Twitter. You can get in touch with me over Instagram. And uh, Travis has my email address. So you can always email me personally and, and I can give you some recommendations there. So yeah, I hope that helps. Uh, best friend in the whole wide world, Kershaw, uh, and happy collecting. Yeah, yeah, and thank you for uh, emailing us, Kershaw, because uh, we always enjoy getting mailbag. You know, we we replaced the mailbag segment with uh, Kaiju Clash last week or week before uh, because we were running low on emails, and then as soon as we do that, Kershaw sends an email. So it always happens. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to next week pick up on Kaiju Clash. So for anybody who uh, listened to Kaiju Clash a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, let me give a quick rundown of the uh, of the results from that uh, too, because I just thought about that. We need to do that. Um, 
hashtag justice for Baragon because he won. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think a lot of it did have to do with the fact that Baragon is a more popular monster. Right. Toho is a more popular production company, whereas I mean, Godzilla is a more popular franchise, whereas Barugon and Gamera is not as popular. Um, the comments section of on Facebook and the comments that I got on Twitter during the poll show that a lot of people did put a lot of thought into it. And the ones that put thought into it still went with uh, Barugon. So sided more with you, Michael, but the, the poll still ended up coming up on both Facebook and Twitter with Baragon in the lead and one. So I don't trust the polls anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Next week, we're going to have a brand new Kaiju Clash that we're going to All right. do. So uh, everybody look forward to that. And I promise it will be much better researched and I will be uh, with it more next week. And I can promise able to you do that it. Travis will, will lose. He will lose this time. <sighs> probably and probably for the same reason that you you lost this this last one <laughs> because the monster so. you have is more popular uh, well no i don't know about that i don't want to give it away but i i don't know about that because the the kaiju that the kaiju that you're going to be representing travis that you're going to be advocating for i mean i will say this she is very very popular yeah yeah, she is, but uh, I don't know. It, it, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, but other than that, the only other thing that I want to do uh, is ask the trivia question that leads us to next week's episode. Now, we have finished Mech Month. We are out of Mech Month, and it was a fun time. We covered comic books. We covered a TV show. We covered, uh, of course, one of the you know, most famous mech from Kaiju uh, from the kaiju genre, Mechagodzilla. Now we're moving into June. June is our under-the-sea month. So it's all going to be sea monsters and sea monster-themed movies. So keep that in mind when you're answering this trivia question. The trivia question for next week is, what independent kaiju film features a battle between a sea monster and a real-life Japanese World War II battleship? Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Are we watching a kaiju documentary? I don't know. <laughs> Could it? I, I want to say that my favorite actor, Jeff, is going to be in this one. Yeah, Jeff. Oh, we're going to have to talk about Jeff. Oh, we'll definitely talk about Ooh. Jeff. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this come upcoming month of Under the Sea Kaiju. Uh, because uh, one of the episodes, we're going to have a couple of guests that are yeah. to, be, to be announced. Um, and yeah, I need to message them and remind them. It's like, hey, you know that the episode you're supposed to be on is coming up. Yep. You need yep. <laughs> uh, and they're they're two they're two great men, and uh, they talk about a lot of monsters. So yeah, yeah. So we're looking forward to it. Uh, so if you want to uh, answer that trivia question, or if you want to send an email, make sure to do that. Kaiju Weekly uh, at gmail.com or uh, on twitter at kaiju weekly you can uh do that either way 
you can reach out to us. Um, so yeah, we want to thank everyone for listening this week. Uh, we know this one's probably probably a pretty long one because we had a lot to cover. Um, but if you want to follow the podcast on social media, again, we are at Kaiju Weekly on Twitter and at Kaiju Weekly Pod on Instagram. You can subscribe to the Kaiju Weekly YouTube channel for all the latest episodes and clips from older episodes. Uh, Michael is taking care of that for us. So uh, if something's not on there, blame him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can send questions, comments, or answers to trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. You can also find us at the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. Uh, that is a Facebook group that was started by Michael and is run by Michael and a lot of other uh, admins, and they are a great place for Kaiju fans. There's not the toxicity that you get in a lot of other fan groups, and it's just a lot of great fun. Uh, also, follow Michael at KaijuGroupie54 uh, on Twitter and the Kaiju Groupie on Instagram. And we also want to say a big thank you to Brian, Shijir, and Thorax for supporting us on Patreon. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash kaijuweeklypod. And so uh, that's everything. So uh, until next week, I'm going to say help control the giant robot population. Have your uh, Mechagodzillas spayed or neutered. <laughs> Bye, guys. Have a great week. Bye. Should have went with King Shiza. He's a, he, he looks more like a dog. It would make more sense for him to be neutered. It's true. We'll add, we can add that to the, uh, to the B-roll. <laughs> yeah. the B-roll. <laughs>